You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's dive into Luke 18, verses 35 through 43. Luke says this. It says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I know one of the subtle tendencies when approaching this passage of Scripture, if you've spent any amount of time in a church whatsoever, you've probably heard a story similar to this. Blind man comes up to Jesus. Jesus restores his sight. It's like the old Sunday school flannel graph things that we used to do if you ever went to, like, kids' church when you were a little kid where our kids are at right now, right? Right? It feels like a child's story. It feels like a story that you've heard a lot of times. And so, so it can be really easy when we come to a passage like this to kind of be like, oh, yeah, simple meaning of the story, easy. Dude was blind. Now he can see. Let's move on to something a little bit more deep or something a little bit more important, but I would just challenge us to, to just hold up for a minute and just see, see what the Lord might reveal to you. Kent Hughes, Kent Hughes in his commentary on this passage, he said this, listen to this. He said, there is only one thing worse than blindness, and that is not knowing that you are blind. Multitudes are blind to their darkness, blind to their sin, blind to their destiny, blind to their hopelessness, spiritually out of touch. It goes on to say, human reasoning says that every time a person sins, he or she will see more of his or her sin. See, this is kind of the concept that we've heard in the world today that we've all grown up with, that the, the school of hard knocks is where we learn, right? We, we learn by making mistakes. Hughes says, but the opposite is true. Every time a man sins, he makes himself more blind, less capable of realizing what sin is, less likely of realizing that he is a sinner. For unforgiven sinners, darkness and light are the same. Think about that statement. For unforgiven sinners, darkness and light are the same. Can you imagine being in that place where darkness and light was the same? There was no distinction between what is dark and what is light? Can you imagine being in that place? Thank you. 
For unforgiven sinners, darkness and light are the same. Their blindness makes it impossible to see. What a grace it is to see reality, Hughes says. What a grace it is to see reality, even when what we see is unpleasant or grotesque. Because when we see what we are, when we cannot escape the truth, when we are surrounded by darkness and know it, we will begin to ask for the light. It's the blind man's pitiful cry, have mercy on me, came from a profound sense of self-understanding profound sense of self-understanding. And, and it brought grace to his soul. Christ rejoices to engage such reality. I just love that quote. As I was studying for this, I, I just I came across that, and it, it resonated with me all week. I'll be honest with you, like I saved it in a PDF so that I could bring it up and just look at it time and time again that, so that before I went to sleep at night, I could just ruminate and think and let the Holy Spirit do work inside of me as I thought about the implications of this passage for our hearts and our souls. My heart and my soul and your heart in your soul as I prepped to preach. And the questions that, that rolled out of just thinking about this, the, the implied questions are this. Really, it's really one question with a bunch of little bunny trails. It's all I ever preach every week anyways, right? One question with a bunch of bunny trails. Come back to the main question again at the end and hope that everybody's brains don't go one question. Can you see? Can you see? If Tyler was here, I know Tyler would be yelling at the top of his lungs. No, I can't see. Right? You know he'd be saying it if he was here. So I, I hope that Tyler listens to this message online and he yells at the top of his lungs. No, I can't see. It's the question of this text, though. Can you see? Can you see yourself honestly? Can you see Christ clearly? Can you see your need to call upon Christ to heal you and to save you? Can you see the benefit of authentically meeting Jesus? And can you see the opportunity to follow Christ? These are the, these are the questions of this text. And for some who have been following Jesus for a while, this, this may feel like old hat sometimes. And I just, I just want to encourage us and challenge you that if, if these questions feel like old hat to you, they don't, if they don't reawaken and renew and refresh and like breathe life into your heart and your soul this evening, there's something far worse going on deep down inside of you. So my heart, my prayer, my hope, my hope is that, is that as you think about this question, that the Holy Spirit would just enter in and just, and just like examine you and that, that you would even enter into a time of like self-examination. Man, it's like hard to take a look at ourselves, isn't it? Right? Like reality sets in. It's hard to take a look at ourselves. Many of us don't like the image that we see looking back at us in the mirror. We feel maybe dirty and ashamed sometimes because of our sin or maybe because of, because of somebody else's sin against us. 
Other times we're afraid of what we might see if we do take an honest look at ourselves. So, so what we do is we try to cover up all the messy and shameful and guilty places of our lives. We do this through self-medication. We do this by playing the victim and blaming everybody else for our problems and our mistakes and our mess. We, we do this by just flat out secluding ourselves from good God-honoring relationship, right? right? We do this because we get afraid. We're often blind to our condition because of shame and fear. Because of shame and fear or unrepentant sin in our lives. The truth of the gospel, though, really bids us to come to Christ like fully aware of our helplessness and our, our neediness and, and, and honestly admitting and acknowledging and evaluating our disabled state of being. The blind man, if you look back at him in this passage, like the blind man sees himself honestly, right? He sees himself honestly. Luke tells us that Jesus drew near to the city. And as he did, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. I just invite you just to close your eyes for a minute. Hope you'll follow me on this. Just close your eyes for a minute. I want you to get this picture in your head. Can you see the blind man? Can you see this blind man in our story? Can you, can you see him going through like his normal uh, daily and morning routine maybe after years of disabling blindness? Catch a picture of what it must be like to, to know no difference between light and darkness and just to be going through your daily routine. You see him making his way into the public square, being careful, being careful not to bump into people so he doesn't upset people. Can you see him like, like, like fumbling his way to his spot on, on the curb, right? On, on the roadside on the curb, right there next to that street, that busy street that leads into the downtown heart of the city maybe. You see him finding a spot there. You see him begging people. See him in all of his neediness, begging for help, begging people who are passing by to give him what he needs, maybe asking for money, maybe asking for food, maybe asking for shelter, maybe asking for clothing, can't work to provide for himself, maybe doesn't have close relationships with people. Can, can you see him in his loneliness? Can you, can you feel what that must feel like? Can, can you see his helplessness? Man, as you look at this picture of this blind man, can you see yourself? Can you see yourself in this blind man honestly? Like, can you see all of the years of going through your learned habits and all your routines? Can you, can you see all the people that you avoid maybe because you're ashamed or afraid of what they, they might think if they saw the real you? Uh, all the people that you have maybe avoided because of, because of all the bad things that have happened to you from other people so you just can't trust anybody anymore. Can you see those people that you've avoided? Can you see this neat and tidy little place that you've kind of like carved out, constructed, this little construct of a life that you have for yourself, this little cocoon, this little relational bubble of safety that you built around yourself? Can you, can you see the secret sins in your life that you've been trying to hide, that you've been trying to get away from, that you've been pushing away back in your closet? Can you see those secret sins that you've been blind to for so long? 
Man, can you honestly see the lonely places of your heart that you've tried to medicate with either substances or possessions or habits or relationships? Can you see those helpless places of your heart? Can you see yourself honestly? Can you see yourself just sitting alongside the road begging? Sometimes, sometimes in the midst of, of the darkness of our spiritual blindness, like sometimes it just, it just sometimes feels like there's, there's no end in sight, right? Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Isn't that what makes it hard for us sometimes to, 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 to self-evaluate, to self-assess, to let the Holy Spirit lead us in, in finding a real picture of ourselves? Sometimes it just seems like in the midst of the darkness of our spiritual blindness, it, it feels like there's no end in sight. Like, there, like there's no end to all the, the trouble in this life. Like there's no end to the struggle with sin. Like there's, there's no end to the sting of the shame. Like there's no end to the crippling effect of our greatest fears. It's almost as though we're stuck in a dark tunnel and we can't see our way out, right? It's almost like we're stuck in a dark tunnel. I don't know about you guys. I know it's not popular for a pastor to stand on stage and say I have some really dark seasons of life. Because, you know, it's not that people just send me messages and be like, hey, you got to walk this out perfectly. But there's kind of an implied sense of expectation that the pastor ought to have it going on better than everybody else, right? And I do need to lead by example. But can I just lead by example in this way and just remind you that, hey, your pastor ain't perfect. Like, I biff it all the time. I get distracted, I let people down, uh, I don't follow through, I don't meet expectations. Even if those expectations were godly in the first place, I just, I biff it all the time. And sometimes when that happens, when I don't, when, when I don't um, maybe perform sometimes the way that I wish that I would or that others wish that I would, I can just send my life into a tailspin. I just feel like I'm in a dark place, right? I remember just recently, it's just a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting on our back patio and, and uh, man, you know, I just pause and say that, that God has blessed me so greatly with a woman who is so forgiving, so loving, um, uh, rebukes me gently and encourages me at the same time. Here's what she said. Now, she's listening to me talk. Um, that's just one of those dark seasons. And she just kind of looks at me and she's like, she's like, can I pray for you? I was like, yeah, I need that. She prays for me. And we get done praying. Here's what she says. She goes, uh, she goes, hey, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't stay dark forever. You know what my answer was? What freaking tunnel are you in? Like, my tunnel's dark, okay? There's nobody in my tunnel. It's just me. Pitch black. This sucks. I want out. I'm done. Blah, 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 blah. And she's like, you douchebag. I don't know if you can say that in the pulpit or not, but you douchebag. <laughs> Jesus is at the end of my tunnel. And I'm like, oh, you're a pastor's wife. You get paid to say that. <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't it tempting in those moments, though, when you have those moments of just sheer, utter darkness where everything feels like it's just caving in on you? Like you cannot tell the difference between good and bad, darkness and light, and life is just squeezing the ever-living crap out of you, and you're like, man, is this ever going to end? Right? Isn't it tempting in those moments to just wonder if Jesus is actually nearby or not. To like wonder where were you, where are you? I can't see anything. 
The scriptures remind us that Jesus came into this world as the light, right? It's the light of this world. He came into places of darkness so that he might shine light there. Holy Spirit sends the gospel and the picture of the cross of Christ into our hearts and the darkness of our hearts so that we might see the light of Christ and be saved, changed, radically transformed so that we can walk in holiness. But say those things, right? Understand those things. Comprehend those things. Try moving it like the little six inches from here to here, right? It's one thing to say it and to know it in our heads, but, but to know it deeply in our hearts and to live it, that, that's quite another thing. All of us have got to understand that. In those moments, those moments are just easy. It's just tempting to be like, Jesus, where are you at? It's tempting when the darkness of like our spiritual blindness like closes in on us. Tempting for us to just basically retreat like further back into the darkness instead of seeing Jesus clearly in those moments. Instead of seeing him clearly in those moments as our greatest need. And the blind man, in the midst of all his helplessness, like look back at the passage, in all his helplessness and all, all his disability, like he sees Jesus clearly, right? He's blind, but he's seeing Jesus probably more clearly than many of us do oftentimes. Luke tells us that when the blind man heard a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Can you see that earth-shattering moment? Can you see that? Can you see all the years of hardship? All the years of shame, all the years of pain, all the years of loneliness, all the years of depression, all the years of desperation, all the, all the darkness, all just culminating in this one moment in time. In this one moment in time, like a small little flickering light at the end of a dark tunnel. Can you, can you see the picture in your mind of the Savior that you've always heard about? You imagine this blind man always hearing about the Savior who was going to come, this Jesus who had come and was healing people left and right. Now he shows up in town. And in this moment, in this moment, this Savior who gives new life, this Savior who can restore sight to the blind, this Savior who can awaken dead hearts and give us new life, this Savior who can wipe away every sin, this Savior who can wipe away every ounce and bit and smear and piece and stain of sin, this, this Savior who can completely renew us, this Savior who can completely restore us, this Savior who can completely reconcile us to our Father in heaven so that we might be made new again. That Savior is standing right there in the middle of the street. What would you do? What would you do? Like in a sense, this moment is that moment for you and I. This moment is that moment. You, you, you've maybe had many of these moments throughout your life. But in this moment right here with the word of God open and with the preacher preaching in front of you, it's a moment where Jesus is standing right in front of you. Can you see him? Can you see Jesus at the end of all the darkness and hardship in your life? I want you to think about this too. Just think about the last time you asked somebody for help. 
think about the last time you asked someone for help, when you made that call or dropped that Facebook post or sent that text. It's hard, isn't it? No hard? For most of us, it's hard to ask for help because we want to be the hero. We want to be self-sustaining. We don't, we don't like depending on other people. We feel bad when we got to ask for help. We, we sometimes feel ashamed to admit our need for help because when we ask for help, what we're doing is admitting weakness. We're admitting weakness. And, and in so doing, we have to somehow take a chip out of this facade that we built around ourselves of how tough and how self-sustaining we really are. It's hard to ask for help. Because when we do, we feel weak. I mean, that kind of thinking is opposed to the gospel, isn't it? It's opposed to the gospel because in the message of the gospel, we learn this. We learn that we must see ourselves as sinful and helpless, blind. We must see Jesus clearly as the only one who can heal us and set us free. And then, in so doing, we must call upon him for help. We call on him for help and for mercy and for healing and for salvation. When the blind man saw his own helplessness, when he saw Jesus as his Savior that he'd heard so much about, then he called on Jesus to help him. Luke tells us, Luke tells us that he cried out. He cried out, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. This blind man, you see this dude? Like, like this blind man, he didn't shrink back. He didn't shrink back in shame. He didn't try to hide himself behind his blindness. He didn't, he didn't use his blindness as an excuse not to call on God. But instead, he cries out to Jesus. He saw his need to call on Jesus. He didn't, he didn't let anything deter him from doing so. <coughs> it was persistent. It was persistent. Not only that, dude made an utter fool out of himself, didn't he? Standing on the street corner, can you see him? Standing on the street corner, hey, yo, yo, Jesus, I'm over here. Right? When was the last time you made a fool out of yourself for Jesus? When was, like, like in our little American construct, right? Conservative, like just sit in the pew, be quiet, shh, don't clap out of turn, and don't run across the church. What was the last time you made a fool, fool out of yourself? You ever read the stories of David, King David, in the scriptures, right? David gets a couple of stones, kills himself a giant at some point. I love the story of David. David, David, has got himself a wife. David was kind of crazy. We won't go into his love life because that's crazy. David, though, had himself a wife. Dude is running through the streets in his underwear, worshiping God at the top of his lungs making an absolute wrecking fool of himself. His wife is up there on the balcony like, David, you're the flipping king. What are you doing? And he's like, you know what? I know my God, my God has saved me. I'll be even more undignified than this. He's like, I don't care. I don't care if this makes me look like a fool. I will be foolish for Jesus. Now, now, don't do this because I can just see this already. Don't do this. The pastor told us we should go run around our underwear out in the middle of the street. No, no, I did not say that. If that's what you heard, you got, you need to get yourself a hearing aid. And we need to talk about hearing next week. This week we'll talk about seeing. Next week we'll talk about listening expositionally once again, okay? So, no, don't go out in the street, run around in your underwear. But just ask yourself, 
Like, man, if you've really met Jesus, if you've really seen him, if you've really seen yourself and your great need for him, and you've really seen Jesus as well, and you've got this opportunity to cry out to him and call out to him for mercy, why would you do nothing different than this blind man? When's the last time you made a fool of yourself? Because you saw a picture of the beauty of Jesus. Let me talk about the beauty of Jesus just for a minute too uh, before I get back to my notes. I told you, one question with a bunch of bunny trails. I mean, when I think about the concept of beauty, it's a beautiful picture to know that Jesus come to you and restore your life and put it back together, isn't it? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Think about that. I've seen some beautiful things in my life. My wife on date night, for me, it's beautiful. Okay? The Rocky Mountains, beautiful. Black Hills, beautiful. The ocean in California next to the mountains, beautiful. Florida with its crocodiles, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. I just don't think anything's as beautiful as the opportunity to see Jesus. Jesus is the only remedy for our blindness. And can you, can you see your need to call upon Jesus to heal you? Can you see the foolishness of not crying out to Jesus for mercy and help? Can you see this, this blind man, like he was persistent, even though there were people that were trying to shut him down, even though there were people that were trying to silence him, he still made a fool of himself and cried out to Jesus for mercy. As some of our Pentecostal friends out there who aren't Baptists, like we agree, disagree theologically enough, but we agree on one thing. We ought to make bigger fools of ourselves if we truly see our need for Jesus. And look at your life. As you, as you catch this picture in this passage, as you track this story, like can you, can you see the shackles of shame and guilt, self-reliance in your life? Can you see those shackles just falling to the ground all around you? Can you see that you must come to Christ confessing your weakness and your need? Can you, can you see that only when you come to Jesus in weakness, only then will the strength of the Lord course through your renewed inner being? Can you see the need to call on Jesus? Not only that, but can you see the benefit of meeting him? Like meeting somebody new is kind of hard, right? Like I know most of us in this room are not just outright extroverts. So we just walk in the room and be like, yo, hey, how you doing? I'm good today, right? <clears throat> I'd like to meet you. What's your name? How old are you? How many kids you got? Where are you from? Not all of us do that very well. Most of us like walking to church. Our little cocoons, we're quiet. Hey, pastor, how you doing? Uh, hey, person number one that I know, person number two, person number, oh, I don't know who that is. I'm going to go sit down over here. I know that a lot of us are that way. It's okay. Like there's not a lot of extroverts in the room, right? And we just don't do that well. We're pretty introverted. Trust me. Like, if you want the list, I'll get you the membership list. Go back, take a look at the personalities. God wired us all a specific way. Like, I ain't got no right to walk around being all butter because all the introverted folks in the room are really quiet and don't do good follow-up. Like, hello. Okay? Well, we're, just a, we're just a wired up piece of mess. It's really, it's really who we are. It's hard to meet somebody new. It's hard to be like, yo, hey, how are you doing? Thanks for coming to church. Good to see you. Like, can I have your oldest kid? No, don't say that. Don't ever say that, right? <laughs> so... And, and that's how we feel, isn't it? Isn't that how we kind of feel? It's hard to meet somebody new. It's hard to get outside of our little boxes. It's hard to get out of our little comfort zones. It's hard to pick up the phone and make that call. It's hard to connect. 
can be really intimidating. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this blind guy on the side of the road just fanboying over Jesus, the famous dude coming to town? I mean, none of us wants to do that, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus, I'm over here. <laughs> so you see this. It's hard. Like big famous dude's coming to town. He's got this huge entourage with him. And there's this, there's this blind guy jumping around on the side, waving his hands, Jesus, Jesus, please come, please come, please come here, right? In those moments, in those moments as you see this, just draw your attention back to the foolishness of this of this blind guy again. Again, when was the last time you made a fool of yourself because you came to face to face with your, with your own image in the mirror and in those moments you came to grips with, with your blindness and, and then you became and you beheld, like you beheld the beauty of the message of the gospel. Like for one shining moment, for this one shining moment, Christ became the answer to all of your greatest questions became the release for, from all your longest struggles, became the satisfaction for your deepest desires? When was the last time in those moments that you fanatically cried out to Jesus in front of everyone in such a way that you became an absolute public fool, made an absolute public spectacle of yourself, all because you could see the benefits of actually meeting Jesus authentically? See, that's exactly what this blind man does in this story when he sees himself honestly, when he sees Jesus. Jesus clearly. He can't help himself but make an absolute public spectacle of himself. He's crying out hysterically on the side of the road. This isn't just some girl at a concert with some famous dude there. This is meeting the Savior of your soul, the one who can make it all right. Eh, what would you do? Catch this too. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do in this moment? I don't even think about Jesus just for a minute. Like, he's got a list of things, right? He's got places to be. He's got people to minister to. He's got a bunch of people around him. I love Jesus in this moment because Jesus is absolutely perfect as a shepherd. This reminds me that for me as a shepherd, I don't have to get this right. You say what you want, right? My Jesus, he got this right. And when I don't get it right, guess what? He's still getting it right. So I don't have to perform, do I? And you know what? Neither do you. Don't ever let anybody pressure you into performing merely. It's Jesus does that for you. You imagine this blind guy, if he would just stand on the road and just try to pretend? I'm not blind. I'm good. Who is that? I can't really see him very well. Oh, that's Jesus, yeah. He's good. Nah, he and I, were like homeboys. We're good. That's not the countenance of somebody who is seeing Jesus for real, is it? It's not, is it? <laughs> the countenance of somebody who is seeing Jesus for real and is ready to soak up some benefits of being in the presence of Christ is like what Luke tells us. It tells us that in response to the blind man's hysterical yelling, this is what Jesus does. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Stop right there. Underline that question. What do you want me to do for you? It's like when somebody calls me on the phone, hey, Pastor Joe, yeah, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? What do you need? 
though Jesus does this so much better than I do, it's so much better than the rest of us do, the question for all of us is what is it that you want Jesus to do? What is it that you want Jesus to do? Like when Jesus comes to you and to me, it's as though he's asking that question all throughout Scripture. What do you want him to do for you? This man could have answered this question in a gazillion and a myriad of different ways that would have been, some of them could have been good, right? Like, well, Jesus, it would be great if you like give me a house because I don't really have a really good place to live. That's not a bad thing, right? I'd ask him for truckload of meth or anything, right? Not a bad thing. Uh, could have asked, um, Jesus, could you give me a wife? Man, I'm just so lonely. Uh, maybe you had a wife and you had a broken marriage. You could be like, Jesus, could you, could you heal my marriage? Could you fix my marriage? Not a bad thing to ask, right? right? But you know what? Let me just tell you this. All those things, good as they may be, ask for them as much as you want. If you ain't asking a deeper question, Jesus, let me see you. The rest of this doesn't mean squat. doesn't mean squat. You could ask for all the good things in the world, but if it's not based on Jesus, let me see you. I mean anything. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And this picture of recover is something that he lost. The idea is that possibly this blind man at one time could see, did behold some beautiful things. He could have asked for anything. Man, let me see the ocean. Man, let me see the mountains. Let me see my beautiful wife. Let me see a great car. Let me see millions. Let me see. No, no, this blind man said, let me recover my sight. It's as though he's saying, Jesus, I just want to see you. There's no worship song that says, have you ever heard that song? Who can sing it? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Why doesn't that worship song say something else? Like, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I'd like to see. Why does it say I want to see you? Because that's the implication of the scriptures. Is that our hearts need to be moved to a place whereby we desire to see Jesus only. Notice that even though Jesus' face, Jesus' face is set towards Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem where he will die horribly. He's going to die horribly for the salvation of sinners. And even in the midst of that, he still takes time for the broken and for the needy who call upon him for mercy. Jesus, listen, Jesus isn't too busy for you. I might be. I might be. Dave might be. Abe might be. We are all going to be too busy for each other at times. We're all going to fail each other at times. Let me tell you, if that shipwrecks your faith and your faith was in me, your faith was in your church family, it wasn't in Jesus in the first place. Can you see? Can you see Jesus? Do you want to see him? Jesus is waiting for you. He's not too busy for you. He's waiting for you to call upon him so that he can help you recover what's been lost. Jesus came to seek and to save that which has been lost, came to recover that which has been lost. He's waiting for you to call upon him so that you can recover what's been lost because of the fallen and broken nature of the world that we live in. Can you see the benefit of authentically meeting 
Jesus. Final question of this text. Can you see the opportunity to follow Jesus? Every Sunday, like every Sunday I get the, the opportunity, almost every Sunday out of the year, sometimes multiple times on a Sunday like today. Woke up this morning early, drove up to Cambridge, preached at a small, old Baptist church there, full of about 70, 80 people. Every Sunday I get this opportunity to preach the gospel in front of our growing little church family. And like I said, sometimes other places. And admittedly, sometimes when I arrive at this privilege and this opportunity, sometimes I arrive at it with a really heavy heart. Sometimes I just feel burdened with the weight of wanting to see people actually walk in freedom with their eyes focused on seeing Jesus and seeing him alone. Every week I look out upon the faces of people that I love dearly, that I admire and respect. And a lot of times when I look into your faces, I see heaviness and despair. I see grumbling. I see whining. I see depression. And I hear it. I see it. And I feel heavy. It's just me. shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way unless unless you haven't seen the opportunity to follow Jesus. Right? It should not be that way for us. Our life of following Christ should be full of joy and contentment and glorifying God. Not grumbling and whining and complaining and heaviness and despair and depression and oh poor pitiful me. Hear me. My friends, hear me. Our lives should be full of joy because Jesus has saved you unless Unless you haven't taken that opportunity and acted upon it. You've acted upon the opportunity to follow Jesus. He's given you a new life. He's given you a new life as Ephesians 4 and 5 tell us. As Colossians 3 tells us. It's a new life. It's a life whereby we used to be unable to see, but now we can see. I once was blind, but now I see. It's amazing grace. It's amazing grace. If you've acted upon the opportunity to follow Jesus, he's given you new life. He's restored your spiritual eyesight. And you are looking upon your life of following him with this fresh revelation or this picture. You think about the picture that you have of Jesus and the picture that you have of yourself. Oftentimes, your picture of yourself is far too inflated and your picture of Jesus is far too deflated. And the reality is if Jesus has saved you, your picture of Christ has got to get bigger. It's got to get bigger. He's restored your spiritual eyesight. You're looking upon your new life, finally with a fresh revelation, a fresh picture of the glory of God in Christ Jesus at the cross. Luke tells us that this man, look what happens. When this man meets Jesus and he opens his eyes, look what happens. He, he was once blind, right? Now he can see. Immediately recovered his eyesight. He saw everything differently. He saw his old life of darkness. He saw this new life filled with nothing but light and joy. And what does he do? The text tells us specifically Specifically, he followed him. He followed him. He followed him. He followed Jesus, glorifying God. 
yelling at the top of his lungs is my guess. Man, to God be the glory because my God is bigger than anything that seeks to stop me. I will not shut up. I will not stop. I will always glorify my God. That's what this man is doing. And then what happens? All the people around him, what do they do? They did the same thing when they saw it. It gave praise to God. It's a picture of discipleship. Your people that you follow, that you disciple, will do the same exact thing you do. Whatever gospel community you lead, if your people are whining and spouting off of the mouth and grumbling not doing anything, it's probably because you're doing it. It's just the way it is. Right? We've got to catch this picture of Jesus. We've got to catch this picture of Jesus. And what happens from that? So we wind up following him, praising him. And what do people around us do when we do that? They do the same thing. There's something attractive about a bunch of people who are following Christ with all the energy they have, bringing attention to his name and not my name or your name or anybody else's name, but his name alone. Man, other people get attracted to that. You see this opportunity you have that we have to follow Jesus with our eyes wide open for the very first time. You see this opportunity to follow Christ in these moments by glorifying God and all that you think, all that you say, all that you do. Can you see this opportunity to follow Jesus regardless of the disabilities and the blindness that were holding you back, regardless of the darkness that you were walking in? You can now walk in the light and live a life that honors him. Can you see that opportunity? Final thought. A few years back, a few years back, went in and got my eyes examined. Got my first set of glasses. Had never wore glasses before that. Didn't know I needed them. Anybody relate? Didn't know I needed them. Didn't know I had vision problems. Doc does some really uncomfortable things. Get your face up there with the thing on your face. Examines your eyes, right? Shines a light in it. Gets a laser strobe thing going. Gonna put one hand over one eye and all humiliation stand there and try to read them stupid lines on the, on the poster, right? Self-examination needed to take place. Had to see myself honestly, even though I was half blind. The end of that, Doc's like, hey, dude, you need some glasses. I'm like, are you sure? Can you imagine if I was like, I don't need them stinking glasses. You could take them and shove them somewhere and then just walk away. Can you imagine that? Like, that'd be stupid. It'd be foolish, right? Good for me. Good for you guys, too. I got glasses. When in the day that uh, the glasses came in and the doc is doing like all his fitting stuff, like he's putting them on my head and he's like tweaking them so they fit straight. Now, they're crooked now, I can tell, because they're a couple years old. Um, but he's like tightening them and like bending them, all sorts of stuff, and just getting them so they fit just right. And at the very end of all this examination, at the very end of him putting these glasses on my face, he asked this one question. You know what the question was? Can you see? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to preach this word twice today. Thank you for um, the people that have had the opportunity to hear it. Pray, God, that, that you would take this message, that you would take this passage, and that you would, God, I just pray that you would apply it to our hearts by the power of your spirit. I just, I just know, God, that there are many who could hear this message who think their eyes have been opened. But they're walking around blind. 
There are some in this room, some who will hear this message outside this room, whose eyes have been opened to you. They've seen you. They've seen their neediness for you. They're calling out to you. You're reaching out to them. And you're healing them little bit by little bit. God, I pray that you would help us to see you. I pray, God, that you would help us to see the opportunity to continue following you. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we wrap up this evening, um, there will be a number of people, two people at least, one or two people down near the front to pray for you if you have any needs. Um, there will also be um, communion elements near the front. There will be somebody near the front to um, serve you that communion. I'd like to encourage our sound guys, so please turn our guitars and our mics on. Thank you. and you're a believer, I'd like to invite you to take communion with us. The way you do that is you come down to the front. Somebody serves that to you. If you're here and you're not a believer, don't take it. It would just be a mindless, boring activity to you, and we don't want to press you into that. We're not about religion. We're about a relationship with God. If you're here and you're struggling with some particular sin, uh, maybe you need to spend some time just in quiet reflection. Let the Holy Spirit convict you of that. Spend some time in repentance. You need to come forward and confess that maybe to a brother or a sister. I encourage you to do that before taking communion. Thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.